turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 1. Uh, if you were here last week, we, we introduced the idea of Joshua, talked a little bit about his background and what God was doing to prepare him for his great moment of victory. And this morning, we do want to talk about victory. We want to talk about overcoming. And we've got a key phrase that I'd like you to write down, which is essentially going to be our outline, our formula for what victory is. And this is where we're going to center uh, around this phrase, and we're going to uh, journey through this narrative of Joshua and see how all of these things connect and connect to our lives. So if you can walk out of these doors at the end of our time together and remember this phrase, that will be a success. So I've been hoping and praying and thinking through and pouring over this message all week long and thinking about our people and visiting friends and what they may be going through. And my prayer has been that God would just break through in their lives and that he would use this great story of Joshua to do that. But here's kind of our key thought and our working definition for this morning. So I'd encourage you to take it down. It says this, true victory is making the difficult decision... To take the small step to expect the unexpected and to see God glorified. Let's say that again. Victory is making the difficult decision to take a small step to expect the unexpected and to see God glorified. So let's think about that for a moment as we dive into Joshua chapter 1 and start out with this first element right here, uh, making the difficult decision. And what we're talking about when we say that through the life of Joshua is simply you need to make that difficult decision that says, I am not going to let my fears and my failures define me. Brian talked a little bit last week about this idea of Joshua in chapter 1 and three different times in chapter 1, God had to give Joshua the command that says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you, he says, be strong and courageous. And we send around the idea that says, you know, if God had to tell him that three different times, that obviously must have been something that he struggled with, right? If my wife said to me, all right, Jared, now don't forget, you know, make sure to get the mail. Like, don't forget the mail. When you leave today, make sure you get the mail. Why would she have to say that three different times? Maybe for some reason that need to be reminded because who knows, right? Insert whatever illustration here. But very likely, Joshua, like many of us, like all of us, was crippled by perhaps his past or his innate weaknesses. And these two elements, be strong and courageous. When we look at the opposite of what those are, they are weakness and fear. The opposite of being strong is to be weak and courageous. The opposite of that is to be fearful. And many of us are, in our Christian lives, as we think about it, and we think about pressing on and moving ahead and having victory and overcoming and getting the joy that comes from that, maybe if we're honest at ourselves and we look at our lives, we're like, eh, I don't know, I think my life could maybe be more characterized by the ideas of weakness and fears rather than strength and courage. 
I want to implore you this morning that to begin, you need to make that difficult decision that says, I'm going to overcome, I'm not going to let those things define me. It's interesting when you think about the idea of courage. Courage, by definition, cannot happen where there isn't danger of some level, right? And the same thing is true. Strength cannot be shown unless there's an opportunity to show that strength. And I fear that for many of us, maybe we don't even ever get that opportunity to be strong and to be courageous because we like to hang out over here in those areas where there's not necessarily something being called out of us, not an opportunity to step into that situation. This last Tuesday in uh, Men's Fraternity, our early morning study that we have, we talked about um, issues growing up and how they shape and affect you. And I think that one of the things we really need to think about as it pertains to this idea is making a difficult decision um, to overcome those fears is to address some of these things. Uh, It's undoubtable as we think through our childhood and as we think about key moments in our life that things happen that sometimes can leave an impression on you and shape you in who you are even as an adult today. I read a book when I was in college that was really pretty impactful to my life and there was a uh, chapter in there that was called The Message of the Arrows. And it talked about, uh, you know, the psalmist talks about your arrows have pierced me and talks about in life, you know, many times we're just wounded by all these different things that the enemy, uh, you know, allows us to go through. But there's also a message that goes along with each one of those circumstances. Something that the enemy is saying to you through that tragedy or through that failure that stays with you. And if I can bring you into my story, um, back when I was maybe in 6th or 7th grade, I had this innate fear of kids that were older than me. Even to this day, I'm afraid of several of you in here that are older. Than, no, I'm just kidding. But if, I don't know, I was always intimidated by anybody that was older. I, I remember playing basketball in my backyard, and we lived on a pretty main street, and the high school would let out, and all these high school kids would, would walk by, and I would go hide behind the garage until all these kids were, were gone. I used to call them the big bad kids. They never said anything to me. They never tortured me. They never bullied me. But I was always just kind of intimidated. For some reason, I didn't have confidence, right? Well, I was a a baseball player and a decent athlete. And uh, I was on probably a sixth or seventh grade team. And and my, uh, you know, our team season was over. But on the same league, there was another team that was like eighth and ninth graders, older guys. And they, they made the playoffs. And they needed an additional player or two because some of their guys were going on vacation and whatever. So their coach talked to our coach, and my, my coach said, I think Jerry needs to be the one to go up, to be called up to this older league with older guys. So I was pretty intimidated, but I you know, went forward, and, and there we were in the playoff game, and we were just getting crushed, and the way that league went, everybody had to bat, you know, even if you weren't necessarily in the field. So I got up a couple times, just got out, but you know, we were down by four or five runs. It's a true story. And uh, it was the bottom of the last inning, right? Like, you know, the storybook ending is set. We were down by four or five runs, and there was two outs, and all of a sudden their pitcher just starts losing it. Starts walking people. We squeak out a little hit here and there. Bases get loaded. He walks in a run. He walks in another run. Next thing you know, we're like only one run behind. 
and there's two outs, and the bases are loaded, and this guy can't throw a strike, and who's up to bat but yours truly? So now I remember, like, looking up and down the, the baselines, and, like, you know, it was one of those places where there's, like, four, um, you know, fields all close to each other. Now, all of a sudden, everybody from all these other games are coming over because they're, they're, they're lining the fences because they're going to see this huge victory and this comeback, and people are starting to cheer, and it's starting to get a little crazy. So I get up there to bat, and I'm like, all right, man, I'm not going to swing, you know? And sure enough, it's ball one, and you know, and then it's ball two and it's ball three and now everybody's roaring because they know we are one pitch away from tying this game and hopefully winning this game in the bottom of the last inning and I'm up there batting my coach is saying, hey, what's this kid's name again? Jerry. Jerry, don't swing. Whatever you do, don't swing. My dad's over there. All right, son, now don't swing. Don't swing. And so I'm up there and it's almost like it's slow motion, you know, I'm like, my knees are shaking. I'm like, oh, and this guy like winds up and then all of a sudden things went into slow motion. And I can remember somewhere way back in my mind, I remember a coach telling me, all right, if you want to mess the pitcher up and if you want them to throw a ball, what do you do? Anybody? You square around for a bunt, right? So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to show everybody that I know what's going on. So I just square around for a bunt like this. And as soon as this guy's getting ready to release, he throws the ball and all of a sudden the ump goes, stop, time out, the batter is stepping on home plate, batter's out. And I look down and like half an inch of my foot is on home plate. And my coach's like, whoa, what are you talking about? The ump's like, I'm sorry, your batter is stepping on home plate, he's automatically out, game over. And all of a sudden, the other, you know, the other team goes out and floods the court and all that, you know, floods the field, and they're jumping up and down and all that stuff, and I'm just left there, dejected, having to walk back to all these guys that don't even know my name because I'm so much younger than them, and yet I am the one responsible for losing this game. And I will never forget driving home and that feeling and everything and just that absolute feeling of utter defeat and failure. Well, it's just one time, right? It's just a stupid game. Nobody even remembers all that, right? But when you think about the idea of the message of the arrows, now all of a sudden there was a failure and that happened, but there was a message that went along with that. And the message is, when everything depends on you, when people are looking at you, you're going to fail. You don't have what it takes. So why even take that risk? And I'm just telling you right now, growing up in high school, I mean, I was a decent athlete. I played football. I played basketball. I played baseball. And I can remember those key moments in basketball, especially. This, this really is true where, you know, it's, it's, it's in the last seconds of the game. There's 10 seconds left, and you call a timeout. And I'm like, I hope that I do not get the ball. Do not run a play for me. I'm like not making eye contact with the coach. I'm going to get some water, you know. Like, I didn't want to be the guy in that moment where everything depended on me. Because I had felt what it was like to have fear and to be weak and that weakness was exposed in that avenue. And I'm telling you right now, it's a difficult decision in our lives to determine that we are not going to be marked by our weakness and our fear. That's the first step. And that's what Joshua had to do. 
He had never experienced leading a nation before. He had seen Moses and he had seen the difficulty. He had seen the people complaining. And now all of a sudden he was being the one ushered up into this moment of leadership. And he had to make the difficult decision that says, I'm not going to be marked by fear, intimidation, weakness. I'm going to be strong and courageous. Think about in Exodus um, chapter 33 where it talks about Moses was there in the tent of meeting and says, Joshua, his young aide, was outside of the tent and wouldn't leave because he was praying. I wonder if in Joshua's life he ever said, you know what, I kind of like being the aide. I'm really good at just kind of running around and like just doing some, doing some uh, you know, little errands for Moses and following him around and taking notes. I'm like a little page, a little lackey, you know, who just goes around and a little assistant. There's comfort in that. There's not really risk in that, right? But now we had to be reminded that it's time to be strong and to be courageous. I love what you see at the end of, um, of uh, chapter 2. Um, sorry, at the end of chapter 1, verse 18, the people gather around him and they said, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. And the people say, only be strong and courageous. There it is again. But this is not God saying it to Joshua three times, and there's no evidence in Scripture that this was some sort of public communication. This was God speaking directly to Joshua, but yet at the end of chapter one, his people say, oh, and Joshua, by the way, be strong and courageous. It's almost like that was a little mantra that they had, that they would say to each other. Where Joshua shared that with his people and now they're saying it back to him. He's saying it to them. Almost like Notre Dame, you know, when the football team, when they go out and they slap on that little thing that says, play like a champion today. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you sports fans? It's like that's their, that's their saying. That's their banner. And here Joshua is saying, all right, we want a victory. We need to be strong and courageous. People, remind me of that. I'm bringing you into that. Help me with that. So what do we see next? Our definition of victory. It's making the difficult decision to take a small step. To take a small step. He didn't go right into the battle. He started out with some smaller steps, just simply making some of those small little moves. But he moved. That's the key. You know, it's one thing to have dreams and visions, and in one respect, that's easy, right? We could all talk about, man, I wish I was a better father or a mother or a better friend or I wish I was a better witness. I wish I had more impact on the community. Those visions, those dreams, those are relatively easy. Strategy is hard. Execution of that strategy is even harder. But it begins with the small steps. And that's when you start to see things happen. Chapter 1, verse 10, it says Joshua went ahead and he commanded the officers. He said, get the people ready. Let them know that we're getting ready to move. The beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, he begins by uh, sending the two spies out. Starts taking these small, little, logical steps of movement. And that's where you see God really come through. Some of you that know the story in chapter 2, he sends the two spies in. 
to Jericho, which was this fortified, amazing, huge, um, powerful city that God had given into the hands of, of the people of Israel. And they were so intimidated by it and they didn't know if they could win. But God said, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to give you the victory. So Joshua sends the two spies into the city. They infiltrate the city. And they end up um, going into the house of a woman named Rahab. And it was well known in the city that Rahab was a harlot. That's how she's known in scripture. Rahab the harlot. That's her title. She was a prostitute. So it wasn't uncommon for her to have lots of different men coming and going uh, into her house at all, all times of the evening. So that was actually a good cover for them. But these two men went in there and then we see an incredible, incredible situation that, uh, that, that happens here. Let's start reading in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan of Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now I want you to think about that and I want you to think about that phrase. The people of Jericho, many of them, and certainly Rahab, they were ready already. And I want that to sink in for a moment here because as we talk about taking some of these small steps towards victory, these small little things, not huge steps, but man, do we believe this morning that God has gone before us and has prepared the way for us and has already been working on hearts? Just think about that. He's going to what many would consider some of the most immoral people Certainly in the town, she was one that many would think would be absolutely the farthest from God. And yet, without them leading into some sort of spiritual conversation or, hey, have you, you know, ever thought about the four spiritual laws or can I share my testimony with you or can I pray for you about, without any of those introductory type things, she is ready already to spill out and say, hey, you know what? The fame of God and the glory of God and the fear of God is already here and I want to follow your God. So I wonder sometimes in our lives, man, if we think about you know, being paralyzed by weakness and fear and stepping up and you know, sharing Christ with somebody or doing something in our workplace or, or entering into a conversation with somebody from our family. I wonder sometimes we're so crippled by the fear of that, but we look at this and like, you don't know where that person's heart is. Maybe they just need the smallest opportunity and God's already been working on them so much so that they're willing to make that change. They just need you to take that small step to open the door. 
pretty incredible what we see here through Rahab. Jesus talks constantly about seeds and sowing, and we see that in Paul's epistles. He talks about some, some planted the seeds, some watered, some got the harvest. I just want to encourage you here this morning, whatever battle you're facing, whatever potential conversations you're going to enter into, you don't know if God's already been working on that person for a long time. And I just want to encourage you to step up and take that small step and enter into that conversation. The fame of God had gone before these two spies. And that was obvious. They continued to give her the instructions that say, okay, you believe in God, you're on our side. Great, well, we're going to come in and, and God's given us this city. He's given us the victory already. We know that. But she said, please, I believe in your God. Save me. I will help you. I will hide you. I will do whatever it takes. So they instructed her to take a scarlet cord and hang it out of her window, which was right there in the wall of the city. And so when they invaded, they would know that's where she and her family lives and she would be protected. She would be saved. In verse 18, that's where you see that. We'll get back to that at the end. Now, continuing on and taking the small steps, I want you to turn one chapter over to chapter 3, uh, start reading in verse 14. We see something else here in the life of Joshua, and that's that he had to get the people ready. He told them to consecrate themselves, for the victory was at hand, but we needed to do some other things beforehand. Check out this concept, chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what it says. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people... As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water because the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. We'll just stop right there. What I want us to recognize about this is this concept right here. Sometimes you need to have mud before the miracle. You see that? Over and over in the Old Testament, you know, like God performed incredible miracles. That's great. Sometimes it was just Moses raising up his rod and the sea parted and whatever in lots of different ways. But here they said, no, no, no. We want you to take, God said, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant and I want you to walk down towards the Jordan. I'm going to do something amazing, but it's not going to be Joshua just saying, um, water's part. It's no, you need to walk down and they're getting closer and they're getting closer. And remember what we talked about two weeks ago. This Ark of the Covenant was the holiest thing in the nation of Israel. The Ten Commandments were in there. It was the one that was housed temporarily in the tabernacle where only once a year the priest could even go in the same room with this thing. It was unbelievably holy and yet now they're carrying it and they're walking down and they're getting closer and you can imagine them just saying, all right, when's it going to happen, God? When's it going to happen? I don't want to drop this thing in the water. I've been to the Jordan River. It's disgusting. I mean, there's rats and there's catfish everywhere. I mean, it is dirty. And so they're taking this massively holy ark and they're even dipping their feet into the water and they're starting to you know go down into it and it's then at that moment when they're in the water already 
that God parts the waters. And that's a big concept for us this morning. When we start take, talking about taking the small steps ourselves, just like Joshua did, sometimes things are going to get messy and it's going to take an element of risk before God comes through. I, one author put it this way, the waters never part until our feet start to get wet. Third thing that we need to talk about, you need to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Here in verse 6, things get really crazy when you start talking about the actual battle of Jericho. Because God gives, again, instructions that you wouldn't think make sense. He talks about every day going around the city and being completely silent and not saying anything on the last day for a whole week on the last day going seven times around the city and then just blowing your trumpets as hard as you can and raising a big shout and that's when the walls are going to come down. So unorthodox. So illogical. Right? But man, when we're following after God, we need to expect the unexpected, expect that God's going to work in amazing ways that we couldn't comprehend. And so there they go in and God gives them the victory and they utterly destroy them. The city was completely conquered. And yet even in that victory, they remembered Rahab. And they remembered the promise that they had made. They remembered the scarlet cord that was hanging out of the window. And they protected and saved her. When we talk about unexpected, who would have thought that the hero of this story would be somebody that was so far away, seemingly, from God? In her lifestyle choices, in what she did, where she was headed in life, in her reputation. Again, that's how she's known as Rahab the harlot. What if any of us were known for our worst sin? What if it was Sarah the liar, or Bill the thief, or Kelsey the adulterer, or Caleb the greedy? What if any of us were known by our worst character trait? And yet in Scripture, she is elevated in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 for the faith that she had. And she made a list of all these other great heroes of the faith because no matter what she was in before, she had taken a jump into the ocean of grace and God redeemed her from that. Finally, the fourth element that we see here is that we want to see God glorified. We want to see God glorified. There was mercy on those who believed, and this whole series is about the thread of Scripture that we see, the illustration and the shadows and the hints all throughout the Old Testament, and we see a beautiful one right here. I mean, it probably doesn't get much clearer than this. You see, right before they went and, and went into Jericho and entered into the, into the battle, Joshua got all the people together and they had their first Passover celebration in the land of Canaan. 
And when you think about the Passover, you'll remember that that was what was instituted 40 years earlier when they were still over in Egypt and that horrible plagues that, that came upon the people of Egypt because they continually rejected God. And the Passover was when the Hebrews were to take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doorposts to recognize that, hey, we have sacrificed this lamb and we are part of the people of God. And it says the Spirit of God would pass over those houses. And those firstborn sons would be spared. I think I mentioned to you guys before that my family was unique and my mom was... Um, very big on holidays. She actually wrote a book called How to Make Your Holidays More Holy. Um, and so we were all the recipients of all these holiday ideas. And so when it came to the Passover, we took ketchup and we put it on our doorposts inside the house. I mean, outside that would have been just weird. But inside the house is a teaching tool. And to this day, I remember I was there a couple years ago and I was on a chair doing something up high, and I'm like, I think I still see ketchup residue on the top of this. I'm not kidding. But that's what happened. That's what the Passover was, and they decided they were going to celebrate this every year to remember how the Spirit of God spared the people because of the blood. And then here you get that beautiful picture. It doesn't get any more clear with that scarlet cord coming out of the window that represented this person is going to be spared because of the grace of God. Furthermore, we see that Joshua in the Hebrew language means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah saves. That's what the word means. And the translation of that into the Greek language is the name Jesus. It's the same exact name. And you can see the correlation in what they did in overcoming and in showing grace to those who had followed the instruction of God. I love how Joshua, after this judgment of God, takes place in Joshua chapter 7, verse 9. He asked God, what will you do for your great name? And you see that echoed in the life of Jesus, don't you? When he was there in the garden, when he was praying in his passion to God, he said, Lord, the time has now come. Glorify your son, even through what I'm going to go through, even through the passion, the humiliation, the pain, ultimately the death on the cross. Glorify your son. If this is going to, if this is going to make an impact, if I can... If I can be the one to sacrifice now for all time. God, I want to do it in my physical flesh. I don't let this cup pass from me. But yet, God, your will be done, not mine. You see that same exact attitude in Christ. So I don't know where that lands on you here this morning. But as we think about that phrase... True victory is when you make the difficult decision to take the small steps that allows you to expect the unexpected and see God glorified. I just hope and pray that we can understand that we are living from victory right now. 
I'm going to invite our band up here because I want to sing a song here together that declares that. The song is called, Oh, the Blood. And as we think about those of us that have accepted Christ, those of us that are trusting in the blood that he shed on the cross, that is for us that scarlet cord of protection and salvation. I think it's fitting that we recognize that the blood of Christ is our victory. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, We will overcome by the power of the blood and by the word of our testimony. I don't know what you're struggling with here this morning. I don't know what your Jericho is. I don't know what victories you need to step into. But I'm just here to challenge you and encourage you this morning that God did it for Joshua, and these same exact principles hold true for us as well. Typically, we talk about, okay, so now what? All right, fine. Yeah, that's great. Okay, God, Joshua, got it. Uh, you know, small steps. Yep, expect the unexpected. Got it. Make the difficult decision. Got it. Okay, I want God to be glorified through my life. Got it. Okay, now what? Well, here are some maybe small victory steps as we talk about not living in weakness and in, and in fear, right? Think about this. Talk about your small steps. Man, maybe there's some small steps that need to be taken even here this morning. What about this? Maybe there's some kids living in your home that need to hear your heart. Maybe the weakness or the fear for you is you just can't share your feelings and you're looking at your family and you're worried, sick. So maybe the small step's going to be to just open up that conversation, write a little note, just start something. Maybe there's a widow that's longing to be loved. Maybe there's somebody on your block that needs friends. Maybe there's a neighbor who's wondering about the purpose of life. Maybe they're ready already. And maybe all they see of us is just driving to and from in a little wave. And maybe it's time to take the small step and invite them over for dinner. Start a conversation with them. Ask them about their life. Maybe there's a brother that needs forgiveness. And I mean a brother like in your life, a brother like a brother, brother, not just a friend brother. Maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to happen within families. Maybe there's a father that needs confrontation. Somebody that's older than you and there's something in their life that is not right and you just feel inadequate and afraid, but maybe God's calling you to step up into that. Maybe there's a wife that needs some communication. She's dying for you to lead in the home, to lead in prayer, to lead in Bible study, to start spiritual conversations, and you're scared to death. But maybe that's your moment. That's what God's calling you up into, and he's telling you to be strong and courageous. How about this one? Maybe there's a ministry that needs some financing. We're not up here asking for money, but I'm saying maybe, maybe there's something going on in this town or some missions or something else. It's like, you've got this money, you've got these resources, and, and you're so afraid of letting go of them. And maybe God's calling you to say, you know what, take the small step. You've got this that I've given you. It's time to share. It's time to invest. Maybe there's a pastor or a leader that needs encouragement. Do you ever think about that? people that are perhaps in leadership level, levels, an elder or a deacon or a teacher or a pastor 
And deep in their heart and deep in their mind, they're wrestling with doubts and fears and inadequacies and feeling like a failure. And maybe that small step could be for you to enter into that. Maybe there's a mom who needs some affirmation. They're lonely, they're discouraged, they're tired. Maybe there's a husband and wife that needs a night out. You don't have kids anymore. They've got young kids. Maybe you need to step into that. Maybe there's a crisis pregnancy center that needs some renovation and some physical work. Down in Raleigh, and I know that that one's absolutely true. Maybe there's an elderly couple that needs some friendship. Maybe there's a new ministry that hasn't even been started yet. They need leadership. So maybe this is your moment to be courageous and to step out and to step up into what God's called you here this morning. I'm not going to let those names, those fears, those messages from previous failures define me. I'm going to allow God to work through me when I start to make those difficult decisions, to take those small steps and expect the unexpected so that God can be glorified. I didn't bring this message this morning so that we could change the world. I brought this message this morning so that hopefully by God's grace, you can change your world. This last song that we're going to do is a a newer one. And it was kind of a last second uh, switcheroo, which the band is awesome for doing it. But I really felt like this was a good fitting song for us to end on. And the declaration is, give us your courage. So whatever the fears are that are holding you back, man, I would love it if as a church we could just rise up and say, give us your courage, God. Give us your courage. And the chorus says, won't you breathe on us? Won't you breathe on us? And that whole element, that illustration, all throughout Scripture has to do with life. Won't you make us alive, God? Breathe in us. Give us strength. Give us courage. Because to the ends of the earth, earth we want to go. So give us your fire give us your passion give us your courage and that's what we want to end with here this morning i'm going to be down in the front and uh when we're done here after this song if you want to come down and pray with me or have me pray over you that's what we want to do and that's who we want to be and we want this church to be the kind of church that is alive amen who's living in victory amen so let's pray together as we prepare to respond in worship and god This morning we have said a lot. And Lord, we just want to thank you so much for this narrative, for this incredible story. And Lord, we recognize that those of us that have crossed that line from doubt and from darkness into faith, those of us that have been brought into a relationship with you through your blood, Lord, we've got every reason to step out of this auditorium with confidence this morning. No matter what the difficulties are, no matter what trials are going on around us, no matter what fears cripple us, no matter what weaknesses keep us back, Lord, I pray that we would be a people this morning, those of us that love you and know you, that would be a people that can walk in victory. So Lord, let us celebrate your son right now. Let us celebrate how he overcame and how we can overcome through that power in the blood of Christ. In your son's name we ask.